Chapter Seven of *The Captain of the Nine by William Heiliger. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven, Results of Defeat. Bartley, arising from the bench at last, followed the players to the gym. After other games, he remembered the streets around St. Mary's Field had echoed to the happy ring of school songs, songs that he knew and loved. Now, however, strange, brassy voices sang unknown, unloved melodies, the songs of pagan Orion. He overtook the slouching players before they reached the gym steps. In the locker room, Mellon, fully dressed, awaited them. He swung his feet over the sides of a bench and tried hard not to look pleased. "'What was the score?' he inquired. "'Did we beat them badly?' "'Weren't you watching from a window?' Kennedy snapped. "'I thought I saw you.' Mellon made no denials. "'Well,' he said virtuously, "'it can't be blamed on me. I won it. And then it was thrown away.' Nobody answered this. Boys were pulling off hot, sweaty uniforms and taking their showers in silence. Dixon, off in a lonely corner, was trying hard to keep back the tears. "'Did Orion ever beat us before?' asked a voice. "'Never,' said Mellon promptly. "'You graduate in June, Mellon, don't you?' Kennedy drawled. "'Yes.' "'Ah,' observed the pitcher, "'I dare say Orion will never beat us again.' "'Oh, I don't know,' smiled the star infielder. "'Dixon will be here.' "'And playing second base, most likely,' broke in Curtis. "'And winning games for us,' Kennedy prodded. Mellon bowed serenely and walked out. He could afford to let them talk. The game had been lost, the first game of the season. His hitting had won it, and Dixon had lost it. He could picture a merry earthquake when Jenkins heard the news. "'And he'll hear it from me,' the boy declared. "'I'll bet that joke captain puts me out of no more games.' Similar thoughts were running through Bartley's mind. Jenkins had been anxious to win the game because Rockton fellows would be watching the contest. He wanted to give Rockton something to worry about, he had said so. For this reason he had used Kennedy. The captain did not try to cheer the squad. Whatever had happened they would have to think out for themselves. On the stairs, on his way out, he overtook Dixon. The scrub second baseman hung his head. "'Drop in my room tonight,' Bartley invited. "'You're almost a stranger. Come around once in a while.' Dixon felt that it was a brave effort to make him forget. "'I'm sorry,' he blurted out. "'I can't understand it. I—I I went all to pieces.' Bartley patted his shoulder. "'It will never happen again, old man. Stage fright, that's what it was. It only comes once.' "'Did—did did you ever have it?' "'I gave five bases on balls in a row, and they yanked me out of the box.' "'That was fine,' said Dixon, what Kennedy and Curtis said to Mellon. "'It gave me some courage.' "'That's our crowd,' laughed Bartley. "'Come around and get to know us.' and then he passed on, leaving the scrub infielder with a lighter heart. Though he did not know it, he had added one to the small army of fellows at St. Mary's who would fight for him to the last ditch. Bartley, on his way to Jenkins's boarding house, found the campus crowded. The students stared after him curiously and with many a whisper. "'Pounding me,' the captain thought bitterly, "'for taking Mellon out.' He had not seen the coach since Jenkins had been taken sick. Now a smiling landlady told him that he could go up. He found the man reclining in a Morris chair. Two bottles of medicine were on the desk. "'How's the patient?' the boy asked. "'A little battered, but still there,' the coach smiled. "'What was the score? I heard plenty of cheering.' Four to three. "'Hm. As close as that? I figured we'd win easily.' The captain partly turned his head away. "'We—we we lost.' Out of the corners of his eyes he could see the coach grasp the arms of the chair and sit up. We lost? The boy nodded. Did you have trouble? Another nod. So, that's it. Well, let's hear the story. 
Bartley told him what had happened. When he finished, the coach's face was stern. Did... did I do right in putting him out, Jenkins? The boy asked timidly. You'd have had a sorry time with me if you hadn't, was the grim answer. We've fooled with that fellow long enough. There's a limit to everything, even if it means lost games. Send Mellon to me. I think he'll be here tonight with a tale of woe, said the captain. Bartley was a good prophet. A few minutes past eight o'clock, Mellon came protestingly to the coach's rooms. You know we lost? he asked. I do. It wasn't my fault. My hitting scored all our runs, and Bartley put me out and put Dixon in. Only for that we'd have won. I don't want to boast, Jenkins, but I could kill anything that pitcher sent up. Anything else? Yes. I was humiliated today before the whole nine. There I was, hitting them to the fence, and— Didn't Bartley tell you to sacrifice? Yes, but— And weren't you ordered to bunt? Yes, but you see— I don't see, roared the coach, and you needn't argue. I've been watching you a long time. You've been looking for trouble, and now you have it. Take care of it, nurse it, for you're going to have it with you a long time. Our next game is with Madison, and Dixon plays in our lineup. Now get out of here. Mellon went out of the room on the run. First he had found Bartley ready to battle it out with him, and now the coach was seeking war. It was the first time Jenkins had treated him harshly, and it quite took his breath away. Truly, this had been a day of staggering surprises. Bartley, when he found that Jenkins backed him up in what he had done, ceased to look upon the Orion game as a calamity. But the approval of the coach and the approval of the school were two different propositions. The students were interested only in games won. They didn't know the cause of Mellon's banishment. If the captain was going to throw away contests, they asked, who could tell where he would stop? Their attitude had a disquieting effect on the players of both varsity and scrub. Then, too, when practice was resumed, they piled into the stands and watched the work in a sort of hopeless silence. Usually, no matter how black the prospects of a team, the fellows will turn out and cheer their heads off. This spring, however, everything seemed to be going wrong. The players began to lose heart, and Bartley began to lose weight, and his pitching lost the slight improvement it had won. When Jenkins, still somewhat pale, came back to St. Mary's Field to take charge of the practice, he found the nine almost disorganized. He studied the stands. "'How long has this been going on?' he asked Bartley. "'Every day.' "'It never happened before, and it won't happen again,' the coach flared. And that night the campus bulletin board carried this message. "'Hereafter the nine will practice behind closed gates. Students will not be admitted to the grounds. Jenkins, coach. Bartley, captain.' While the order removed a bad influence from the field and increased the campus gloom. True, the football squad often held secret signal drills, but this was the first time the nine had played to empty stands. The students took to croaking of the awful things Rockton would probably do to St. Mary's. Only the fellows who had been candidates in the past for the eleven, the crew, or the track team seemed to guess the cause of the order. Mellon, chastened in spirit, went to the field each afternoon, and for the first time since he came to St. Mary's, practiced steadily with the second nine. Dixon had already been told that he would play against Madison, and his eyes had widened. "'After what I did?' "'Forget it,' said Jenkins kindly. "'That's past.' Once Mellon's ambition had been to force Bartley to resign as captain. Now he was fighting his hardest to get back to the varsity. There were times when his heart seemed to turn cold. Dixon was to be used against Madison. Suppose, just suppose, that Dixon should put up a rattling good game. Each afternoon he plunged eagerly into the work and gave his best and his best was something to gladden the eye. "'Are you watching Mellon?' Bartley asked Jenkins. "'Yes, the lesson's doing him good. He's been rather quiet of late.' "'Will you play Dixon against Madison?' "'Certainly. Why?' "'I thought—' "'Shh!' whispered the coach. "'I'll tell you the truth about this. It's all a grandstand play for Mellon's benefit. 
The moment Dixon cracks, Mellon goes in. That's been my plan all along. The coming of the Madison game spelled trouble for the coach. He had worked Kennedy in the season's opening battle, and he did not want to use that stalwart pitcher so soon again if he could help it. It would have been joy to his heart to see Bartley stride out, as of old, to go under fire. He half suspected what the Orion game in the hours that followed had cost the captain. The day before the Madison tussle he took Bartley and Redway to the little alley back of the stands. Now, he said, loosen up there and let's see what you have. He did not stand in back of Redway. He stood off to one side where he could watch Redway's face. Not an expression escaped his eager eyes, and at last he walked in. The catcher straightened up. Very bad, asked the coach. If I thought it would have done this to him, Redway wailed, I think I would have held the captaincy. I don't want to use Kennedy, mused Jenkins. Taylor, said Redway. Then as the coach started to speak, I know, you're going to tell me that after what happened against Orion we must win this game. All right, Taylor. You're sure, Redway? Positive. It's Taylor, said the coach. When the catcher carried the news to Taylor, the big pitcher took a great deep breath. My first game for St. Mary's, he said softly. My first game. Fearfully, the students of the blue and gold came to that contest. Their pride, however, had risen to save them, and they royally greeted their nine. Dixon's reappearance on second sent a gasp through the stands, even through the freshmen, the boys of his own class. Today Jenkins sat on the bench. He felt that he had two experiments on the field, Taylor and Dixon. The pitcher was the first to ease his mind. By the end of the second inning the coach had ceased to worry about how many runs Madison might score, and the Madison coach was wondering if he was going to score at all. "'Fine work,' Jenkins told Taylor. "'They taught me,' said the boy. "'Kennedy and Bartley.' "'Rats!' growled Kennedy, and the coach wiped a smile from his lips. In the third inning, Dixon had his first chance. It was a white streak of a hit, and the St. Mary's students held their breaths. Dixon, though, made a perfect stop, and with the coolness of a veteran stood up, timed his throw to the second, and beat the runner by a step. A yell broke from the stands. Mellon, on the bench, tapped nervous fingers against the wooden seat. At the bat, however, Dixon was the same failure. Today he did not strike out, but his hits were weak taps to the infield. Both Taylor and the Madison pitcher were going good, and in almost every inning it was one-two-three order for both nines. The eighth opened dismally for St. Mary's with a strikeout. Then the complexion of things suddenly changed. The Madison pitcher momentarily lost control. One batter was walked and another was hit. The stands awoke. As Kaufman struck out, both runners moved up a base on a double steal. One eager boy was on third, another was on second, and Dixon was rising from the bench to bat. He glanced at the coach, but Jenkins was staring ahead. As he picked out his stick, he again glanced at Jenkins, and this time caught his eye. So they stared at each other a moment. "'Batter up!' called the umpire. Hundreds of feet began to stamp with the precision of machinery. Jenkins cleared his throat. "'Bat for Dixon, Mellon.' Dixon sighed in sudden relief and came back to the bench. "'I was afraid. Hit it out, Mellon.' The stamping became a roar as Mellon walked to the plate. Those in the stands could not hear, but they could see the wave of the umpire's arm. Right arm for a strike and left arm for a ball, and soon they knew that the count was two and three. Then Mellon seemed to slide forward to meet the next pitch. He caught it near the end of his bat and drove it on a line over the heads of the infielders. The hit meant two runs. It also meant the game, for in the ninth inning Madison again drew a cipher. Mellon played in the field during Madison's last turn at bat, but he played as one in a dream. His hands still tingled from the shock of having met the ball. He knew that Taylor was pitching and that if a ball came to him he was to throw it to Kaufman, but nothing came his way and at last he saw the fellows running for the gym and he fled with them across the outfield. 
Not until he was in the locker room did his head clear, and then the captain was speaking. A fine hit, Mellon. It was placed beautifully. I never saw anything prettier. The second baseman nodded and walked to his locker. Would he play in the next game? Had that hit won him back the varsity? Of course Bartley had praised him, but what else could the captain do? One thing was certain. If he did go back to the varsity, it would not be because Bartley had made a fight for him. As he came from under the showers, he saw Bartley and the coach talking eagerly. He was plying the rough Turkish towel back across his shoulders when Jenkins came down to him. "'You play against Sinclair, Mellon.' Instantly the boy's face was radiant. "'Thanks, Jenkins.' "'Don't thank me,' said the coach. "'Thank Bartley. He thinks you'll do what you're told after this.'" End of chapter 7